You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Now that you are seated comfortably, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you don't mind. Friends, I'm sure you have, as I have, seen and been watching the news this last week. I invite us then, as a church community, followers of Jesus Christ, to stand together, to just take a moment, and I'm going to pray for us. But before I pray, I invite us to just stand and in the quiet of our own heart, spend a moment in own personal prayer, reflecting and asking for God's peace and healing in the Middle East. So let us be quiet for a moment, and then I'll pray for us. Lord, you said, peace, be still, and the storm was stilled. Today, we lift our eyes to you, the maker of heaven and earth, and we ask for a miracle. Let your peace fill Israel and Gaza. Lord, hear us. God, let violence cease in the region. Let there be no more bloodshed, we pray. We know your heart breaks for those for those killed and those left behind, for the orphaned child, the injured elderly, those abducted and families desperate for safety. Lord, will you speak into this crisis, we pray. Lord, hear us. We pray for all those who have lost loved ones. Let your peace and love wash over them. Lord, hear us. God, we pray for your peace and reconciliation to overcome conflict. We ask that you give wisdom and discernment to global leaders and those in positions of power who have the ability to impact the course of this war. We pray, Lord, for the people scattered around the globe whose family and friends have been caught up in this crisis. We know that you are with them, but we pray, Lord, will you help us to express your love to those affected in our community and at our places of work? Lord, this morning, as the Crossroads Church community, we raise Israel and Gaza to you and pray for those who are suffering. And we ask that you provide peace in this crisis 
and protection and comfort for all those who have been impacted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated. Right. So, good morning, beautiful and precious people of God. You will know if you've been coming here for the last few weeks that as a church community, we are busy with the book of James, the epistle of the letter of James. It is a short letter. It is a beautiful letter. It's only 108 verses, five chapters written by the half-brother of Jesus, James, who was known for and respected by those early followers of Jesus for having the ability to remember we're talking about this letter written to a community uh, right at its infancy, uh, a group of followers right at the beginning trying to make sense of it all. Who are we? How are we meant to be? What does it mean to love Jesus and follow Jesus? What does it look like in real life? And James became respected for the ability to give down-to-earth, uncomplicated, practical advice to ordinary followers of Jesus, helping them to make sense of what it looks like when we live our faith. And so we are looking at the letter of James, and uh, we're going to continue uh, in chapter 2. And so our passage for today comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. I'm going to include verse 26, and I'm going to throw a few other verses from James in there as well as we, as we continue to look at God's Word. But let's read James chapter 2, verses 14 to 19 and 26. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say that they have faith, but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or a sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal. What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Someone might claim, you have faith and I have action, but how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. It's good that you believe God is one. Ha! Even the demons believe this, and they tremble with fear. And then verse 26, as the lifeless body is dead, so faith without actions is dead. Now, some of you might be aware that it is currently the Rugby World Cup happening in France. Also, so by the way, it is also the Cricket World Cup happening in India. 
Now, I love rugby and cricket. If you don't know what either of those two sports are, um, doesn't matter. What I have to say will apply to hockey and football. Now, with the Rugby World Cup happening, you'll see lots of people wearing the jerseys of their country, supporting them, and we love rugby, and so we watch the games from home, from our living room. We go to the games. We wear the jerseys. But there is one thing that I know for sure is that wearing the jersey, going to the games, watching the games, shouting advice to the players on the field from the couch in my living room doesn't make me a rugby player. It just makes me a fan. And when it comes to our Christian faith, brothers and sisters, James wants to teach us something. He wants to challenge us. He wants to remind us about the connection between what I say I believe and what I actually do in my day-to-day -day living. He is calling us, in essence, to be followers, players on the field, not just fans wearing the jersey. It's what's happening in this passage. He's calling us, he's challenging us to be not just fans, but to be followers of Jesus, going where Jesus goes, doing what Jesus asks of us and calls us to do. And so James, in writing this, implies for us that there must have been a bunch of early followers, believers in Jesus, living just as fans and not as followers, coming to take a seat on the sidelines, having lots of advice on how things should be done, lots of ideas and criticism, people accepting everything about Jesus, who he is, and what he has to offer about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and patience in the hope to have a ticket stamp to get to heaven one day. Yet their actions do not match what they say they believe. They are fans, not followers. Friends, the message of James was relevant then and it's relevant today. And so I pray for myself and for us all that as we sit here today, that God's Holy Spirit will speak to us and challenge us. And so today, the question and the challenge before us is this. Will we have the courage to ask this question of ourselves? Paul, are you a fan or a follower? Okay. 
So that's what we're doing today. As I've said, so the book of James, I've said this very quickly, five chapters, 108 verses. The idea is, and it's easy, you can do it, and I hope it's going well and that you are doing it, uh, that you can read through the book of James every week for the duration of the sermon series. How's that going so far? You managing it? Well, I hope so. If you haven't started, there's the challenge. Read through the book of James every week for the duration of the sermon series so that by the end of the series, you've got a good understanding of the letter of James. So it was written uh, by the half-brother of Jesus, as I've said, uh, to um, Jewish Christians scattered around the Roman Empire. And in the book of James, I said to us last week, let me recap very quickly, we find a number of themes, things that James writes about. He writes about um, he writes about unity. He writes about prayer. He writes about uh, uh, perseverance and patience in suffering. He writes about uh, having a concern for the poor, using our wealth responsibly, being wise with our words, and that words have got power. He talks about the discernment, and he writes about what he sees so often, this disconnect between we say we believe this, but yet we act differently. We don't act how what we say we believe. He writes about that. And what we must understand, what's going on in the book of James, all these themes that he's touching on, James is trying to show us and explain to us what, what true religion, what true faith, he calls it pure faith, what pure faith looks like. And this all, all these themes in trying to show us, here's what pure religion and faith looks like, all is centered around uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And it all is an extension of an overflowing of wanting us to understand that we are called to fulfill the two great commandments. We're called to fulfill, first of all, not just to love God with all that we are, but true faith and pure religion is seen in us fulfilling the royal law, which is loving my neighbor as I love myself. And so all these themes, themes of James is connected to this loving the people around us. And so when we talk about being not just hearers, but doers of the word of God, we should hear it in the context of loving my neighbor as I love myself. Right, so we've been uh, doing memory verses. How's that going? Once again today, on your seat, uh, you will find a memory verse, a card, and today's one is the easiest of them all. In James 2 verse 26, have a look at it. This is our memory verse for this week. Will you say it with me? Faith without works is dead. That's the easy one. Five words. Faith without works is dead. James 2 verse 26. That's your memory verse for this week. Okay. So it appears that there were Christians in the early church who thought that all that's required of me, all that I need to do is I just need to Say, Jesus, I hear your message. I like it. Sounds good to me. I believe it. I call him Savior, and I accept it all, and I believe it all, and I claim it to be my own. And that's it. Nothing more is needed or required of me. That's all that was necessary. 
saying that I can say I believe in Jesus, but yet I can continue to live any old way in the themes of James. So I can say I believe in Jesus, but I don't have to have a concern for the poor. I don't have to use my wealth responsibly. I don't have to worry about unity. I don't have to use my words wisely. I can say what I want, when I want to, who I want. As long as I just say, Jesus, I accept you are my savior. Nothing else is required of me. And so it would seem that this is what was going on in those early faith communities in the early church. Now, maybe some of this thinking could have come from misinterpreting some of Paul's teaching. You remember Ephesians 2 verse 8? Paul was teaching, he's saying, we are saved not by our works. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. And so maybe some of that took root and it was misinterpreted that, listen, we're not saved by our works, so we don't need good works. We can just... Thank you, God, for your grace. Now, let's talk about that for a little bit. We understand, of course, that we don't earn our salvation. We understand, of course, that we don't have to earn and work for Jesus to love us. We understand that we receive God's grace, provenient, justifying, sanctifying grace. You know what that is, right? Provenient grace. We understand that grace that comes before we even know we need God. God's already at work in our lives, bringing us to the point where we recognize, God, I need you, that provenient grace. God gives that to us. We know that. We understand that. We understand His justifying grace, that grace of God at work within us that brings us to the point where we fall on our knees and we confess confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we confess our sin and repent of that, and we invite Him in as our Lord and Savior, and we are made right with God. We are restored, redeemed, and reconciled with the Father, that justifying grace. We know that God gives us that grace. We know He also gives us sanctifying grace, so it doesn't just stop there. That grace is that, that free and merited favor of God, that grace of God that continues working in our lives so that I will become more like Jesus with each each new day. We understand that that is at work within us, and we don't earn that. We don't deserve that. Christ in us and the Holy Spirit work in us. Now, there must have been some who thought, well, this is great. I received that. I know that, but that's all that's required of me. I put my trust in Jesus. He forgives my sin, and I get to go to heaven and I don't need to do anything else. And James is saying that's being a fan, not a follower. And so he writes in James 1.22, he says, hey, you must be doers of the word. What's the word? Logos, we spoke about last week. The word is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Saying You must be doers of the good news, not only hearers of and believers of the good news. Thereby, you must lead yourself. You must put it into action. You must be doers of the word, the good news. 
Let's remind ourselves of what is the good news that we are called to be doers of, that we meant to believe as we receive from the grace of God. We believe it, we claim it, and we ask, as James says, for the good news, the word to be planted in us, to grow in us till it overflows and it can be seen in how we live and how we act towards one another. What is the good news? Well, we remember that God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, compelled by his unconditional and unending love for us all, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so the birth incarnation of Jesus, God taking on flesh in the person of Jesus, dwelled among us to show us who God is, what God is like, who we are meant to be, who we are called to be. By his teaching, by his life, by his example. Ultimately, laying down his life on the cross, thereby redeeming us, atoning for our sin, so that sin and death is conquered once and for all. And because Christ lives, I live. We understand, and James saying, let that word, that good news, claim it, let it be planted and rooted in you. Believe that, for it will save you. But what James is saying, he's saying it's possible to believe all of that and yet do nothing about it. He's saying what I'm seeing in the church, as he writes, is that many of you believe all of that, believe this good news, Yet you live lives that don't reflect it. It's not being put into practice. You're doing nothing about it. You believe about God's love and patience and forgiveness and mercy, yet none of that is seen in how you treat the people around you. And for James, he's saying, that is not demonstrating pure faith, true religion. When we believe, but we don't act. And just to come back to Paul, I want to make it very clear that Paul and James is not contradicting one another. It's not that Paul is saying, we're saved by the grace of God, not by our works. And James is saying, well, we need some works. They're not contradicting one another. If we look at Paul, I've quoted Ephesians 2.8. Just a couple of verses later, verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, we read this. Paul writing and he says, instead we are God's accomplishment. Created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Paul and James are not in disagreement with one another. What they are both saying and what we all need to hear, they are both saying that, yes, of course, we are saved by grace through faith and we are saved by the work of Jesus, not by our works. Yes, of course we are. But any real faith is only real when it shows itself in what we do. Faith is pure and real when it manifests itself in our actions. Followers, not just fans, 
for even the demons believe. Now, friends, when we find ourselves in a lifestyle of fan and not follower, we are beginning to wade into waters that we might begin to be able to use an interesting term that we might refer to as practical atheism. Can I define practical atheism? You get theoretical atheism, and then you get practical atheism. Can I define practical atheism for you? Ruby uh, Shelley defines, Rubel Shelley defines practical atheism in this way. Practical atheism is, it is holding an intellectual commitment to believe in God, but thinking, feeling, and behaving as if there were no God. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, the most dangerous type of atheism is not theoretical atheism. It is practical atheism. That is the most dangerous type. And the world, even the church, not this one, of course, is filled up with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. Fans not followers, pay lip service, not life service. And James is teaching us about true faith. True and pure religion is the integration between what I say I believe and what I do. I was thinking of an example from my home country. Believing on the one hand that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. The official religion of my nation. That we are all created in the image of God. That Jesus Christ died for all and yet, on the other hand, we see this complete disconnect between what we say we believe and what we do and still somehow find it possible to justify apartheid. A disconnect. And what James is saying to us, the reason he writes this, otherwise he would not write this, he writes this because he's saying, all of us, have some of that inconsistency in us. We say this, but we do something else. That's why he writes to us about this. We all have some of that inconsistency, some of that disconnect, and so he writes to challenge us. Are you a fan or a follower? And so I ask you this morning, will you be courageous enough to ask this question, where is there disconnect in my life? Is there an area in your life that, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind now where there is a disconnect between what you say you believe and what you actually do? Where is the disconnect? Where in my life do I need to come? Lord, I, I sing songs about your majesty and, and all these 
beautiful attributes. But then I go out and I live in a way contrary to that, disconnected from that. So James challenges. Allow the word, the good news to be planted in you so that it takes root and it grows in you till overflowing, till it overflows into your hands and your feet. So it's not just the thing that I say I believe, it's a thing that I actually do. The words of James 2 of our memory verse, faith without works is dead, was rumbling through my mind last weekend as I was at the Neverstadt project. And I saw many of you there, wonderful that you were there. And for me, it was just such a wonderful practical opportunity to connect my faith with my actions. Wonderful opportunity to connect my faith with my actions. And if you missed it, I want to encourage you to seek out, to make prayer this week and say, Lord, how can I make connection between my faith and my actions this week, my tomorrow and every day after that? By engaging possibly in special projects like this as a way just simply to remind myself of how I am to live towards my neighbor every day. The words of James is meant to stir within us this idea, and he says it in the passage that I read to you. For there to be a connection between what I say I believe and what I do, practically it might look like this, James says. Recognizing that at times, just turning to a sister or a brother with the words, I'm praying for you, is just not good enough. That there might be times where I need to put action to those words, I am praying for you. I'll tell you a very quick story of, uh, I had just given my life to Jesus. I was just in high school, and uh, I, I was cycling. Now, so I lived about eight, nine kilometers from school, and I was cycling just after school, and there was this gentleman sitting on the, uh, on the curb, on the pavement, just outside my school gate, and um, uh, he caught my eye. I caught his, and, and he said, um, do you have some food for me? I'm hungry. Um, I, I've got no food, and and I had just given my life to Jesus. And, uh, and funnily enough, been reading, guess what book? Book of James. And the words, faith without works is dead. And I thought, right, I'm going to help this brother of mine. I said, you wait right here. I said, don't go anywhere, but you're just going to need to get, give me a minute because I've got to cycle nine kilometers to get home. Uh, but I will be back. So I cycled to, uh, back home, and I went into the kitchen. And, um, and I opened the cupboards, and I got my backpack, and I, just, and I just took food, and I filled the backpack, and I, well, emptied the cupboards, essentially. And uh, so I cycled back to school, and there he was, and I said, God bless you. And I'm not just going to say, God bless you. I'm going to put action to what I believe, and here it is. Here's some food. And so I was feeling so proud of myself, and, and I'm cycling back home. In the meantime, my mother had arrived home and um, wanting to prepare supper, only to discover I'd given all of <laughs> the family's food away, and uh, I was grounded for a while, and I got into trouble. 
And I just realized, and this is, I think, for us just to remind ourselves, I can't fix every problem. And that's not what James is saying. <laughs> that we go and fix every problem all over the place. But he's encouraging us. Will we say, God, here's my life. I'm open and I'm ready for you to guide me and to lead me. I don't just want to be a fan in the bleachers. I want to be a player on the field. So here I am. I'm ready, Lord. Will you open my eyes? Will you open my ears? And will you prepare me so that I will be able to do more than just say, I'll pray for you. And where appropriate, when appropriate, will you give me opportunity to put actions to my faith? And in the context of James, to love my neighbor as I love myself. To be a follower and not just a fan. Jesus taught us, after all, that the greatest among us will be servants. Here's my closing challenge for us. Here's the challenge I have for you as I close. Will you take an honest look at your life and allow God's spirit to stir within you and look at your relationship with Jesus and ask honestly the question, am I just a fan or am I a follower? And you know, one of the ways that you can test that, one of the ways you can test that if you're still a follower, or perhaps you've slipped off the field quietly and taken up a seat in the fan section. One of the ways you can test it is to ask yourself this question, how am I different now from six months ago? How have I changed? How am I different how am I more like Jesus? You see, because it's possible when I'm a fan to not change at all. But it's impossible to follow Jesus and not change. As you reflect upon your life, now where you are and you look six months back, how are you different? How have you grown more like Jesus is a good indicator where I fall on the fan or follower scale. You see, because it's easy for us to quietly slip off the field and hide in the stands with all the other fans. The world as it is, the world as it should be, Jesus calls that the kingdom of God. And James is teaching us our job is to put our faith into action and thereby closing the gap between the world as it is and the world as it should be. And if we, the people of God, don't do that, who will? James calls us to close the gap between what is and what should be by putting my faith in action. And it's demonstrated in how I love my neighbor. Let us pray. Just as I was preaching, instead of just doing a normal closing prayer, I just, I just feel 
led to pray slightly differently. And so here's what I'm going to say. I just have a sense that there are people here that need prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. If you need prayer for whatever, doesn't matter. If you need prayer, I don't want you to leave here today without us praying with you and for you. So will you have the power of your conviction to stand where you are is the invitation. And then I'm going to pray for you. If you need prayer, I invite you to stand and we'll pray. Lord, firstly, thank you for the book of James. Just challenging us, just so bluntly, so, so in your face, so practical. Hey, are you a fan or a follower? Put your faith into action. That's pure faith. You can't say you believe one thing and do another. And so, first of all, Lord, we, we say to you collectively, forgive us for not always putting our faith into action. Will you help your word to grow in us, enabling us, Holy Spirit, to with each new day, more and more, put our faith into action. Deeds to what we say we believe. Thank you for that challenge. And then, Lord, You see your children standing before you today, God Almighty. You know their hearts. You know their lives. You know the reason why they are standing. They're standing as an act of faith before you, arms outstretched. God, here I am. I give you my life. I give you this thing, this reason that, that caused me to stand I surrender it and I give it to you in Jesus' name. And Father God, thank you that you are here and that you receive and that you are ready to intervene in a gentle but powerful way into every life, into every situation, standing represented before you today. And so, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move mightily in the lives of your children standing before you today. Move, God. Perform a miracle and bring transformation and healing and newness of life. Heal what needs healing, God, in Jesus' name. Restore what needs restoring. Reconcile what needs to be reconciled. Give grace where grace is needed. Forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. Mercy where mercy is needed. Wisdom where wisdom is needed. Strength and courage where strength is needed. 
So I lift your children before you now in Jesus' name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.